0: Time for the Retirement Roadmap Podcast with registered financial consultant Glenn Mosseller. Time for another Retirement Roadmap Podcast. Walter Storholt here with Glenn Mosseller, registered financial consultant and the founder and president of Roadmap Financial Consulting with an office in Greensboro on Muir's Chapel Road. Thanks for joining us for this week's edition of the podcast, which we will call Frequently Asked Questions of the Financial World. Every once in a while here on the podcast, we like to veer away from what we typically do. And the typical, if you're a long-time listener, is to kind of really zero in on one financial or retirement topic. But every once in a while, we cover some real-life questions or you know frequently asked questions that we see in the financial world just to give us the opportunity to kind of give you a quick-hitting session of lots of different topics, kind of a smattering of ideas from across the financial landscape. So this is like if you go to a website, you go to their Frequently Asked Questions, questions page. That's what this podcast basically is taking some of the common financial questions we often see out there. And maybe some of these, maybe they're not actually frequently asked, Glenn, but maybe they're a little bit more off the wall. But nonetheless, I think it'll give us the opportunity to dabble in a few different areas here. One area in particular where we see a lot of questions is when it comes to downsizing from a larger home to a smaller home once the kids are grown and gone. And what happens is a lot of people get enough money from the sale of that current home that they think about maybe just paying cash for that next one. They've built up enough equity in the home. They're downsizing, so the cost is less on that next home. Should I just pay cash for that home or get a mortgage since interest rates have been pretty low over the last several years and you know, still historically are at low levels? Which route do you typically suggest people go in? How does that conversation play out to mortgage or paying cash?
1: Well, Walter, that's a very interesting question because I don't know that there's a typical right answer or wrong answer there. I mean, a lot of folks think in terms of, hey, they want to own their, their house outright, you know, and they, they don't want to have a mortgage to pay and those types of things. However, they're, they're still going to have the property taxes and, and uh, you know, and the insurance and things like that. So there's always going to be costs and expenses around owning a home. And so you really have to ask the question, well, you know, when, when you take everything into account... Does it make sense to carry a mortgage? Sometimes the answer is yes. Like you say, the interest rates are we're in a very low interest rate environment right now. And if you've got other uh, places where your money is doing better, particularly if it's in a safe place where money is doing as well or better, then maybe it's a good idea to you know continue to have a mortgage. There are times when absolutely positively having a house free and clear is the right answer. And believe it or not, sometimes there are situations where you might even consider a reverse mortgage, which you know a lot of people never really thought about that. Sometimes people think in terms of reverse mortgages is only being a kind of a desperate situation, but the reality is is that it, sometimes it can be a real tax planning opportunity because the the proceeds coming from a reverse mortgage are tax free, and sometimes you know I ultimately ask the question about well what do you plan on doing with the house. And you know most of the times folks say well I plan on giving the house to the kids or you know maybe maybe there's one an only child or maybe there's multiple children and so when I ask the question well you know do you think your kids would rather inherit an account or a death benefit or would they rather you know, inherit a house that might end up needing some deferred maintenance and that type of thing, especially if they're several states away or maybe all the way across the country? And they start thinking about it and say, well, you know, I've never really thought about it that way. And so what I would say is, is Walter, is, is that there's really not a one-size-fits-all. This is a really interesting question to really delve into. And like I say, every single case is different. I've seen cases where a reverse mortgage is a perfect fit. I've seen situations where a reverse mortgage is a terrible fit. I've seen times when it's best to pay off the mortgage and not have anything there and, and not have that payment. And then I've seen other situations where, hey, it probably would make sense to go ahead and, and carry a regular forward mortgage. It may be sounding like I'm kind of hedging that bet, but what I'm really doing is is that realizing that there are a lot of different situations, and different situations call for different uh, solutions.
0: Absolutely. And so that is definitely one of the more commonly asked questions In the financial world, and yeah, just not a clear answer across the board. You're going to be a case-by-case basis, and that's uh, like that in a lot of cases in the financial realm. Sometimes it's not, but sometimes it certainly is. Another frequently asked retirement planning question Glenn, is when somebody gets told that they can still get some sort of benefit from, you know, an ex's Social Security. So a woman might say, well, my, I, I have access to my ex-husband's Social Security, even though we might have been divorced for several years. And they want to know if that's true or not. Pretty interesting question, first of all, but also more common than you might think.
1: Well, you're right, Walter, and again, it's another one of those situations where it depends. There's um, a couple years ago, some of the legislation that was passed around Social Security, you know, ended up, you know, causing some people to no longer be eligible for that type of benefit. Other people got grandfathered in, and they are able to access that. There's also situations where they might be able to, if their ex-spouse has passed away, that they might be able to have a survivor benefit, and that can actually start as early as age 60. And then there's rules around that. Well, what happens if somebody got remarried versus didn't get remarried or how old were they when they got remarried or, you know, or or are they considering, you know, know, marrying again? All of those things are factors as to whether or not they're going to be eligible. There's an awful lot of rules around all those Social Security claiming strategies. And there's not, like I said, there's not really a one size fits all, but you have to figure out what is your situation and, you know, do any of the claiming strategies apply to you? And what I would suggest is is, is if this question is really, you know, is, is important to you because of what your situation is, we probably ought to get together and have a conversation because there's oftentimes things where you really don't realize, hey, you, you've you got access to a benefit that you actually are deserving of and that you have as part of being in a marriage for, you know, for for a period of time. So don't just dismiss it and say, well, I don't think I'm eligible for that or, or you know, or just Take for granted that you are. You really want to find out if you're eligible, and number one, and then number two, how would be the best way to implement it if you are, in in terms of your overall plan and where you are in life.
0: Great points, Glenn, and uh, it's a it's a really interesting question, I think. Social Security has so many different layers, so many different possibilities, and, and lots of rules that need to be followed and thought about, and uh, that's why it's great to have somebody who works in that realm each and every day to help navigate those waters. So that's another frequently asked retirement planning question. Another one, Glenn, is when somebody you know kind of has this assumption of working with a big financial company, they kind of say, all right, so I see the big name. The company obviously has a lot of you know marketing presence. They must have a lot of resources that smaller independent companies don't have to offer. And so they want to know, you know, what's the benefit of working with a smaller company versus a larger one?
1: Well, Walter, that is an interesting question, and it comes up sometimes when, when having conversations with, uh, with potential clients. And really, one of the big questions that you want to ask yourself if you're out there looking for an advisor and and you're trying to determine whether or not it's a good idea to work with one of those big companies is, is, you know, ask yourself, you know, is this a publicly traded company? And if so, you know, then what is what are their obligations as far as the law goes? You know, when you're working with there's a publicly traded company out there and it's a very large company, they have an obligation by law to be as profitable as they can be to their shareholders. And that doesn't necessarily say a whole lot as to what they have to do for their clients. Now, and does that mean that I'm saying that all situations are, are gonna be bad if you work with a with a big company? I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is is that you gotta be aware of is you know what their obligations are and who they need to be you know performing for and who they're trying to make the most money for and there are places where you know you really should consider the possibility of working with somebody who's independent you know and you say well why would i you know why do that you know besides you know what we were just talking about well aren't they smaller and do they not have the ability to to access as many resources and the funny thing is is that sometimes they have have the ability to access more resources because of their independence. I mean, they they might be able to be contracted with a variety of different companies and have access to lots of different products and and investments across the marketplace, whereas somebody who works for a big company, they're they're kind of captive and they have to only offer what their company offers. I always make the analogy of, of if you're going out to eat and you and let's say, let's say that you're at the mall and you're at the food court. Well, if you're at the food court, you know you can pick and choose it. All the different places that are there. I mean, in fact, you could you could have you know maybe your main course here and your dessert over there, and you can really have the, you know what you want. Versus if you walk into any any one of the the chain stores, you have to go in and you have to you have to order directly off their menu for everything that's there, and, and you don't have the options for other things. So sometimes the obvious isn't so obvious, and and you you know you need to consider the possibility. I, what I would suggest is is that you know maybe you know interviewing interviewing a you know a big company or a representative of a big company and then also sit down with an independent and see what's going to be the best fit for you because different people are going to want different things.
0: Great points as always, Glenn. And if we're talking about frequently asked questions about retirement planning, this certainly has to be near the top of the list. And that would be with all the tax changes that we've heard about in the news. Is that going to have a big impact on my retirement funds in the next couple of years, and I probably a common follow-up to that. Is there anything that we need to address on that particular issue to make sure that we're properly set up to handle any of those tax changes?
1: Well, Walter, you know, when we're, when we're looking at the recent tax changes, I mean, one of the biggest changes that we see is the uh, change in, in what the standard deduction is. And I've seen situations, we just finished tax season, and of course, we do taxes here in my office, and, you know, what? we've seen a variety of different scenarios when we're looking at comparing what, you know, what next year taxes are going to be like you know, compared to last year's taxes. You know, when we're looking at, you know, a comparative what if, you know, if, if we look at, you know, the, everything being equal, we, we see what does 2018 going to be like versus 2017. And like I say, one of the biggest changes is the deductions and the ex- exemptions and, and how that dynamic has changed. And so, you know, there's situations where you have to be aware of, you know, whether or not it's going to be worth, you know, worthwhile, you know, keeping up with your itemized deductions or not. You also need to think in terms of, you know, how is this going to affect you if you maybe you have kids or or possibly grandkids who are, you know, part of maybe you're you know, claiming head of household or maybe you've got a grandchild that was an exemption, you know, and then how is that going to play out, you know, into next year? And those are questions that, you know, you really want to sit down with your tax advisor and go over that. But what I would even say beyond that is, is that just in terms of in general, when you're in retirement, how the tax laws are different as opposed to when you're in your working years. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, when you move into retirement, there are so many different elements to your, your income plan and, and and your tax planning, because, you know, for the first time in your life, at least for most people, they're having income streams from multiple different sources. You know, most people when they're working, you know, in their, in their working and they're in they're working in saving years, most of their income is coming from their job and from wages. That's treated one way in the tax system. But when you when you transition into retirement, you know, you might have a pension or social security, and then you have distributions from a from an IRA or a 401k, and and maybe you've got some other investment type of accounts where you're going to have some money is going to be treated as capital gains or dividend income all those things are not necessarily treated the same way in the in the tax code and i see an awful lot of cases where where folks you know if they haven't done you know much tax planning there's some inefficiencies there where they're they're sending extra monies to washington that they don't have to and i would say if you haven't really done that type of planning for your retirement income then you need to really consider doing that because, again, it, make, it could literally be worth um, you know several thousand dollars a year, if not more. And when you look at that over, over your lifetime and, and your retirement years, I mean, it can literally be tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. And, and it's just simply no, knowing what the rules are and how to plan for taxes versus just assuming that all, all income is the same or all cash flow is the same. Because, you know, really the way the tax code is, it's just not that way. And you really want to you know, know how it works so you can be the most efficient as you can be.
0: Well, we've uh, really kind of gone around the world of retirement planning on today's FAQ podcast, talking about downsizing homes, social security, talking a little bit more about working with big financial companies versus small ones, and, of course, we got to the subject of taxes. One more thing here, Glenn, and our final frequently asked question of the week about retirement planning is about long-term care insurance. And a lot of people kind of might hear from a friend or through the grapevine about somebody who, you know, isn't paying for long-term care insurance, well, you might be shelling out, you know, hundreds of dollars a month for that kind of insurance, or maybe you've avoided it altogether because of the cost, and it gets really confusing for people. How can somebody else be getting this thing for free that I'm not getting for free? What usually ends up being the situation when people are kind of, uh, you know, hearing about those different elements that way?
1: Well, Walter, you know, and long-term care is one of the most challenging pieces of the of the planning puzzle that we have to put together when we're talking about the retirement years. And like you say, there's you know there's the traditional type of long-term care insurance where folks are paying you know maybe hundreds of dollars every month or every quarter or once a year or something like that. And it's like I say, it's more of the traditional type of policy. Whereas you know if you if you make those uh, premium payments then if you need the insurance, it's there for you. I kind of relate that to it's similar to what you would think of in terms of your auto policy or your home policy, where if you need to make a claim, it's there. But if you don't, then the insurance company just keeps the money. There are other types of ways to cover or hedge the long-term care risk and that is, is, you know, sometimes we think in terms of uh, there's products that, that can be they can be life insurance type of products or maybe even annuity type of products that have long-term care benefits, that they are a little bit different. They're what we would call a hybrid product. There are some policies out there that if you have a, uh, a life insurance policy, some of them will actually let you tap into the death benefit while you're still alive for long-term care expenses. Whereas um, if you don't need it for long-term care, then the death benefit is still there for your heirs. There are other types of uh, policies that that are going to give you a little bit of leverage in terms of your benefit. If you need it for long-term care, you might be able to get two or three or maybe even four times as much as as what you put in if it's used for long-term care. But if it's not used for long-term care, then maybe it's a safe place for money that can sit there and grow it at a a reasonable interest rate, which ultimately will still go to your heirs if you need it for long-term care and it would not result in going back to the insurance company so there's a lot of different ways in terms of planning for long-term care and it's one of those things that most people have kind of, you know, have avoided or they, they haven't taken action on it. And I think a lot of times the reason why that is, Walter, is, is that people just don't, don't realize what options are available in the marketplace. You know, maybe they're working with maybe they're working with somebody who's, just, who's a broker who, you know, maybe they know a lot about investments, but they don't know a lot about insurance products, what's available in those kinds of things. And they don't really spend a lot of time there. And as a result, they don't necessarily offer that or talk to their clients about that and and if you're out there as a consumer and you're not talking to somebody and 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 finding out what you can access it's you know you would be surprised in times when you think oh my goodness I I didn't really realize that I could that I could potentially do that and like I say sometimes you can get you know a little, little bit more bang for your buck when you get you get maybe have a financial product that can that can give you you know a couple different sets of benefits within the same product and that can always be a big winner for folks because it can really help hedge that risk.
0: I think this is just a great example Glenn of some of the different Questions that you're probably getting all the time in the office, right? I, I would say the lesson to be taken away, if nothing else, from today's podcast is just that, you know, people have questions that cover the, you know, the, the, the gamut when it comes to financial planning and the retirement world. And so don't be afraid to ask questions about your particular situation.
1: Absolutely, Walter. You know, and, and that's just the, that's the key. You always want to be aware. And, and the, and the challenges is, is that you don't know what you don't know. And so you explore and and ask those questions. And if, and if your current advisor is not helping in that, in that regard, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's time to get a second opinion, or maybe you're happy with what they're doing with, with one part of your financial life and that's okay. But if they don't, if they don't practice in another area, then maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you're going to need to explore the possibility of, of having, of having somebody else help you with another part of your, of your retirement planning. You know, again, it's not a one size fits all. There's lots of different options out there in the, in the marketplace and really you want to know what your options are so that you can that you can be taking care of yourself your family your spouse and, and all all the risks that are there and and, and as part of the the retirement years and you know, don't just assume that you've heard everything because oftentimes, like I say, you don't know what you don't know, and there are other options available that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, normally come across, you know, if you're dealing with a with a financial professional who who doesn't work in that area.
0: It's a great point. So if you have questions about your particular financial plan, want them answered. It doesn't matter what topic it's on, if it's in the financial world, Glenn's going to be able to help you analyze that situation, see how it fits into your overall financial plan. But it does always start with a conversation. Conversation. And you can set up that time to meet with Glenn to ask your questions by calling 336-291-3535. That's 336-291-3535. Or you can go online to GreensboroRetirement.com. That's GreensboroRetirement.com. Dot .com. Look at the bottom of the page and you'll see where you can schedule a free consultation. Well, Glenn, thank you for the help and the guidance on today's podcast. I know we took you around the world. Are you tired all those all those different questions?
1: <laughs> I tell you, Walter, that's it, that's something else. Isn't it? I mean, but it, it is. I mean, there there are a lot there's a lot of different questions to ask and and like you say, don't be afraid to ask the questions because you know you you, mm-hmm. you need to know what the answers are and you need to know what your options are.
0: It's probably how a normal meeting is. Okay, I've got a question about this. Okay, I've got a question about this. Got a question about this and you bounce around. And... And uh, probably representative of that, no doubt about it. Well, there you go. Some of the frequently asked questions of the retirement planning realm. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's podcast. For Glenn, I'm Walter. And we'll talk to you next time on the Retirement Roadmap.